Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from my home, always, always from my home in Southern California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you today from a chilly Harlem. Hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I'm a senior editor at Hyperallergic and a recent recipient of the Rabkin Arts Journalism Prize. Yay for me. And um, I'm here to talk to you about serious shit today. Uh, This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Um, And we're sticking with our topic, uh, which is uh, on everyone's mind, or maybe not everyone, of course, there's always exceptions, but just about everyone's mind, which is COVID-19 and the novel coronavirus, which causes that disease, um, and how it affects us and how it affects the world around us and all the rest of that. So last week, we basically just kind of had a group therapy session as we talked about (laughs) being in shock from, you know, just kind of this significant disruption to our, our daily routine. We may do that again. I'm not sure. So... Steven, Seth, did you have uh, something that you were bursting to talk about today? Hmm. I don't know. Did you? I was thinking about the how the urgency for us to get back to a normal hmm. is making us both crazy, insane, and a lot less respectful. Like, science is taking a beating right now. It's the one thing that's kind of helping us understand COVID-19 and how it's transmitted and all of that. And at the same time, it's like... Oh, enough already when can we get back to work and yeah yeah. i've been met not measuring but sort of thinking about newscasters talking heads on the internet president trump and how people are just eager to get back to work get back Mm. to a normal Mm. and i'm like there is no more normal i mean Mm. there was never a normal depending on who you were but there was something that we thought of as being stable you know Mm. And all the instability that it in- involved. Do you know what I mean? So I'm sort of like um, not obsessed with it, but just sort of preoccupied with not wanting to make a mistake or personally to put myself at risk for the COVID-19 or if mm-hmm. I already have it, put someone else at risk for it mm-hmm. and to just to um, dig into this moment, you know, and move into this moment with a little more grace rather than, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. Kind of like, you know, a kid you know, stumping his feet, you know, it, it, I find it just to be really, really adolescent and really childish. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I, I actually, you know, I am very much the person, I mean, you guys know me and and know this about me. I'm very much the person that wants to jump to, okay, well, what does evidence say? What do we, you know, what can mm-hmm. we do to verify this? But even though that is my tendency with this, I've had moments, days, you know, where I've thought, ah, are we overreacting? Like, you know, what what exactly does the hospital load look like in all mm-hmm. these other parts of the country? Do we actually have to socially distance in these ways? Even though there's broad, you know, sort of consensus amongst the medical community, not to say that you can't find people that disagree. You can always find people that disagree with just about anything. So, mm-hmm. um, but the broad consensus is that, you know, that this is the right thing to be doing. And in fact, it's working. And I think it was mm-hmm. Fauci that said, Anthony Fauci that said, you know, if we're doing it right, it'll look like an overreaction. Like if if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. it'll look mm-hmm. like we overreacted to the situation. And 
you know, I, I am not an infectious disease specialist. And mm-hmm. I believe that these people that spend decades studying this stuff probably <laughs> know, probably know a little bit about what they're saying. Um, mm. <laughs> and so I, you know, I return to that, but even my emotional response still kicks up and I still go, ah, are we, you know, are mm-hmm. we being too sensitive about this or being mm-hmm. too worried about it? So I'm not unfamiliar with the feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. I just try and, you know, deal with it. I was interested mm-hmm. or I'm interested in following up with something that you mentioned, Stephen, in your opening sort of, um, volley, you said something about there not being a time when there not being any such thing as normal, but there being there be, there was a circumstance which which we would call stable, mm-hmm. but even though there were bits of instability, right mm-hmm. within that, what are what are those things that you found unstable about the way we live? Well, I think um, for example, the 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 first example that came up for me were the the folks that I know who are artists. Mm. whose um, day-to-days are precarious based on how much they actually sell. Mm. Like I have a friend who sells art on the street, sometimes in the subway, and now he's at home, you know, Mm. and so he's still making stuff, but he's not moving Mm. product. And Mm. so for someone like me who has a full-time job and can work from home, I'm often reminded, even of my own situation when I was more independent last year, for example, Mm. how... Like I got, I think I have five gigs have been canceled so far. Mm. Um, and there probably will be more as it goes mm-hmm. on. But my, my situation is n- nothing like the artists that I know mm-hmm. that I travel with. Mm-hmm. And so I think about their instability, you know, in as a regular, right? Mm-hmm. That's the regular. So I think about that. And I think about uh, the displaced. I think about immigrant, po- uh, uh, migrant populations that are being pushed from one place to another. Um, those situations... Or pushed back, right? I mean, Trump yeah. the administrations use this as a way to kind of mask oh, yeah. a bunch of people. Yeah, at absolutely. The border, so. And not, you know, to hear asylum cases. There are a number of things. There's that's what I mean by that instability. You know, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a member of the precariat, um, mm-hmm. and I, I I do find common cause with folks who are also members of the same so uh, socioeconomic class. I think. I've been lucky in that working for Hyperlogic, because it is an online publication, even though we were rocked mm-hmm. by the onset oh, yeah. of the virus, mm-hmm. we're still we're still treading water. We're still we're still producing content every day. Have you guys had to lay anyone off or cut back on no? We haven't right. yet. That's, we that's haven't great. Yet. That's, it's, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. It's, it's yeah. remarkable. Especially for a small mm-hmm. business that Really isn't it? We're, since we're a nonprofit, we're not in a position to take advantage of some of the uh, funds that have been made, made available specifically to nonprofits, small nonprofits right. in New York. I've seen those, yeah. And and we're just at that particular in that particular niche where we're not super small. Like we have, I think, I want to say ten or twelve or more employees, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. But we're not large either. It's not like we have you know fifty or hundred employees. Right. So it, anyway, we managed to thread the needle in a, in, a, in a couple of different ways. But because I think, frankly, because Prague uh, and Beacon had some reserves, and because we've managed to cobble together a few advertising situations okay. um, since then, 
that we're managing to stay afloat. And I just, you know, I just won this prize that came with a lot of prize money. So it's it's a really odd moment for me because mm-hmm. socially I feel all the feels, right? Like yeah. the, the depression mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. listlessness and anxiety. And then on the, and on the other hand, I feel like, oh, well, I'm actually pretty solid. I have a solid ground on an, under my feet. Like I'm mm-hmm. hypoallergic should be fine should be i'm um, i'm doing i'm still writing and editing every day mm-hmm. and if we do get through this thing intact i plan to move out of the city so that mm-hmm. those plans are still moving forward so it's 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 just odd right now because i feel like i'm precarious but not really mhm yeah i i'm glad you actually said the last part because i'm that i you you we talked about the precariat idea on a mm-hmm. podcast and i just i don't like it i don't i i I, mm-hmm. I don't like it because i think there are people that occupy truly precarious places right. in the world right and the idea that someone that now carve out lots of exceptions in general someone that is choosing to occupy a very competitive, highly unstable creative class is the same thing as, you know, an El Salvadoran refugee that is fleeing gangs or Mm -hmm. people that, you know, are, you know, there's food scarcity where they live or there are women that live in highly patriarchal systems in which, you know, marriage is enforced and the number of kids that you have is a marker of your cultural status. And I mean, these, the, I don't mean to say that those other feelings aren't real. I don't mean to say that the system can't do a better job of collectively taking care of itself. I do believe in universal health care, um, at least certainly as a goal. But I don't I feel like what COVID-19 has been and and where if any good can come out of it is it's a reminder of our collective precarity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that and that we should therefore extend and be compassionate to those who do not yet have purchase in the world mm-hmm. and 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 that there is an opportunity that there that whether it'll be realized or not and probably not because there's such a vocal you know wing in the in the culture fo- supported by Fox News and conservative media that the mm-hmm. good thing that could come out of this is a little bit more understanding for how bad most people have it or how bad a lot of people have it most of the time all right. of the time right yeah. i mean just right. this mm-hmm. is this is their life like i don't i i don't have a job i don't have a way to get a job there aren't enough there aren't institutional supports there to help me everyone's saying the institutional supports are there everyone's saying you know like two trillion dollar stimulus everyone's saying like oh yeah you know mm-hmm. this is here this is here this is here but you actually can't get it and that right. actually is what yeah. the that's what the life life is like for the poor right everyone's right. saying oh we do all this stuff for you you got social welfare we got this you get all these things, all these resources, but you actually can't 
get mm-hmm. those resources. Mm-hmm. But there's I'm something sorry, about man. what you're saying. I really am glad. I didn't know where you were going with this because <laughs> sometimes what people do is to say, well, you're, you've got a job, so you need to shut up. That's not no, his personality yeah. at all. So I was like, yeah. okay, just yeah. wait, Stephen, just wait. Right. And, but, but, but what it did bring to mind was the fact that I'm not sure how deeply people feel their pain or feel their precarity who have yeah. more means or more like space, right? So there's a piece in the New Yorker. Um, writ, uh, it's an interview with Fran Lebowitz, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Fran Lebowitz is always going to make you kind of laugh and kind of mm-hmm. go, "Wow, ooh, you know." Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so <laughs> Fran is, um, she's like, you know, it bothers me that I can't walk around. She says that's why I, I live in New York. Restaurants, I don't have to cook. Like she was, she's working her way through her her precarity mm-hmm. of not wanting to cook, mm-hmm. or that friends she knew about friends who who would say things like after nine eleven, can you um, get in the car? We're going to drive away. And she's like, why would I want to leave? <laughs> you know. So, right. So <laughs> there is, I what I'm going to search out for more more of those kinds of stories about people thinking about placement, where they are, and how they're dealing with it, right? Mm-hmm. And also, like I said, how deeply do you feel something? Carla, this, my best friend Carlos Moore and I were talking about this idea of we've known each other for 40 years. We became friends in September of, 19, um, of 1980. Mm-hmm. September 1980, we became friends. And it, we've gone through and seen a lot of things happen in the world, in New York City with 9-11. And just, and I remember thinking, wow, we never thought we'd ever see anything like this. Mm. Right. But there's a person in Carla and there is a heart and then there's an experience and there are all these wonderful things that mm-hmm. have really helped me think through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've often wondered how deeply people feel things or if they feel things and decide, okay, well, again, I still want to be a millionaire one day. So <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a critique that I'm willing to, to die on about Jeff Bezos having so much money and buying three mansions and then Mm -hmm. asking us at Whole Foods, can you give to, can you spare, motherfucker, (laughs) you give that money. (laughs) Fuck you. Double fuck you, triple fuck you, quadruple fuck you. You know, but more like, how much money do you need? How much money do you need to feel safe, right? Mm, And I often rationalize my own economic situation as, as long as I'm comfortable, I'm good. Do you know, yeah. I don't need a lot of stuff to make me feel good, mm. but I often wonder again how deeply I'm willing to feel those things, mm. you know, in times like this. And so the last episode, I think we talked about I'm willing to be vulnerable in this space. I'm willing mm. to be present with these feelings because, I mean, for me, it's not a wow, look at how terrible the world is. It's like, no, we got that COVID 19. We already know how fucking terrible the world is. You just, <laughs> all you've done for a lot of people and a lot of the media is to strip away and to give us more of that, that daily denigration that some people live. You know, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear that. And I hear the indignation too. And, you know, the, you know, with the Bezos thing, I just, you know, you want, you want a little more self-awareness from the people that have so much. So, you know, as the assumption being that the self-awareness leads to different, you know, different actions on mm-hmm. their part and yes. vis-a-vis their vast resources. Yes. Um, but, you know, the entire social world is precarious. It, it just mm-hmm. the whole thing, the whole show is precarious. It actually yes. is not as stable as it seems, yes. as it as it looks or feels. And I so think, how, what would you attribute that to? Meaning that if we will it, that's what we we can get behind the illusion that there's a stability. 
because we yeah, we we're, we're willing it to be that. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you know, I mean, I think because we, I, I think because collectively more people have bought into the the grandest fiction in human history, which is money, right? I mean, money as as mm-hmm. a as an object of value, you know, uh-huh. the faith and goodwill. I mean, it's written there on the dollar. Like the faith and goodwill of, mm-hmm. you know, of the American people. That's what that I'm, I'm twisting that a little bit, but but that's what money is mm-hmm. globally, right? We've agreed that this that right. this value that this this paper is fungible and exchangeable, and and it has a kind of social value for us. And that has tremendous social power, mm-hmm. but social power is always at the foot of of the physical world. I yes. mean, it, it's always at the knee, I should say, of the physical world. It's mm-hmm. definitely at any moment, you know, our social fictions can be wiped away by illness. I mean, you know, this is the, the four noble truths, you know, yeah. the illness, mm-hmm. death, old age. Um, and, and, and we What's are collecting. Um, that is what is the fourth one? Um, and it'll come to me, or I'll look it up in a second. Oh, or maybe I'm confusing with the maybe it's the three sites and the four noble truths. Um, I think it's the three sites, right? Uh, sickness, old age, and death, and that we are collectively, you know, stricken by COVID nineteen. It's sickness, right? We the sickness mm-hmm. of of just the human condition mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. has has afflicted all of us, and. And the wealthy and and the poor alike, mm-hmm. um, and you know. I, so when I hear you know to bring it back to the thing we were saying earlier, when we talk about the precariat, like we we are preca- we are all we are either all the precariat, mm. or I don't know what that word means. Okay, so I'm context. going to ah. really okay. uh, oppose you on this one, Travis. Because okay, good. Excuse me, I've been reading. Really not really skimming articles in the last few days about how specifically black and Latino populations in the in mm-hmm. cities are being stricken with COVID-19 at a much higher rate than anyone else. And mm-hmm. the presumption is that that's because a lot of black and Latino f- folks can't afford to the not go place. into right to right. so so if they are working in if they happen to be working in essential industries like mm, food mm-hmm. supply or health uh, mm-hmm. or health they are taking the subways into the cities sure. and, and back home so I I just saw something today and I'm not sure if it was in the Guardian or in the Washington Post and those are the places I typically go in the Google News sort of aggregator mm-hmm. as well. I saw an article that claimed that in a particular city, and I don't remember which one, it might have been New York, but it's something like 62% of the people who are coming down with the virus. And I'm not, and I don't think this morbidity rate, I just 62% of people who are diagnosed as having COVID-19 mm-hmm. are black and Latino. So there's a way in which that what you just said really isn't quite the truth because of our Inherit well, yeah, our, yeah, I can say that. I received our inherited social positions and our and our social and our wealth in positions of wealth and our positions of privilege. So I, so I have a obviously I have a response to that. To say that some are more sick than others doesn't mean that we're not all sick. 
So to say that some are more precarious than others is not to say that we're not all precarious. And if that, unless that's the story we tell, how do we build a network of empathy in which the people who have more are connecting with the people that have less? Like, unless we tell that larger story about our own common humanity and our own mm. common vulnerability acknowledging absolutely 1000% that some are more vulnerable particularly the people that are like still still working at Amazon warehouses and mm-hmm, still mm-hmm. you know like dishing up food for us Precisely. and still you know and, and I, I are still driving cabs i read this awful story in the new york times last weekend about this family you know this guy had you know immigrant family had worked his ass off to get a taxi medallion uh, to summarize it briefly but still had to drive the cab in order mm-hmm. to make money for his, his family of four or five that live in a small apartment and probably mm-hmm. not far from where you live, Seth. Um, they're in the Bronx. And he got sick. And then his wife got sick. And then his oldest daughter got sick. And they can't see their youngest daughter because she lives in a nearby apartment and can't come over and see them. And he's really sick. Mm-hmm. Can't file for unemployment claims because I guess he's a taxi driver, and which means he's an independent, independent contractor. contractor. Yeah. And that means he can still file for an appointment, but he has to call. And I guess mm. he'd been calling like every mm. day for a week and never gotten through. Mm. Like that is a mm. level of precariousness that I do not have. Mm. Like absolutely mm. 1000%. I am far more fortunate than for that to be my reality. Mm. But unless I recognize my that also I can be in a precarious situation mm-hmm. and that also I am not invulnerable to those kind of shocks and misfortunes. Mm-hmm. How do I extend that sympathy to others? That's what I mean by by not trying to take up all the oxygen in the room with, you know, how mm-hmm. bad I have it or whatever. I, I hear you. And I know, Stephen, that you have stuff to say at this point, but I just want to mm-hmm. add my rejoinder here. Mm-hmm. And this is an odd position for me to take because this is precisely the way I don't generally look at the world. But mm-hmm. I want to come at this with a kind of quasi-Marxist argument. It's the kind of stuff that was really swirling around me when I was doing my undergrad at Long Island University Brooklyn campus and then grad school at UC Irvine. And it goes something like this. What you're talking about is a kind of large, sort of big perspe- big perspective what are the stories that tell us that we tell ourselves that unite us, right? That make it possible to actually live in a community of strangers, mm-hmm. which is uh-huh. which is your thing, and and mm-hmm. um, I mean it's a thing that you're is at the sort of core of your intellectual um, uh, uh, and academic and, pursuits, and yeah, academic sure. work, right? Right. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. But my but my rejoinder is: but what about the actual socioeconomic infrastructure on which that cultural story? lies or 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 in which that cultural story has purchase because mm-hmm. i would i would argue that the underlying uh, socioeconomic structure of um, of the united states of america is such that that story doesn't really matter a lot like what happens is you have people like jeff bezos who basically get to where they are where they are with a combination of you know wits and um timing and luck and mm-hmm. hard work, and really being mercenary and being quite willing to fuck over people, right? So we know that in the wake of Amazon, that mom and pop booksellers have just died a death. 
Right, because we don't shop at them anymore. Wait, wait, okay. Bezos doesn't make us not shop there. Okay. Your ass who wants your Amazon delivery that you're waiting for right now is is why mom and pop booksellers have gone out of business. Well, actually, I bought it from a small coffee supplier called Defocion, so I, it's a slightly okay, different thing. Okay, 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 different okay, thing. okay, no, no, fair enough. Okay, fair cha, enough. Cha. But, yeah. but, but, <laughs> but my point is this: but my point is this: you can look at every sort of captain of finance and and billionaire and see how much of their money if not all of it comes from exploiting people taking advantage of people mm-hmm. so that story about our commonality and i'm being really reductive here mm-hmm. i don't think actually makes a difference in the material circumstances and therefore the precariousness of particular people's lives in this culture because more than anything else, our white settler ideology imagines that we're always in a, a space of relentless competition where the fittest, quote, and I'm doing air quotes to my fingers, the fittest mm-hmm. survive and the rest of them get what they bloody deserve. So my thing is, that's the, that's actually what we're living in. We'd love, I'd love that for that ideal to like be a kind of like, I don't want to let, I want to let Stephen jump in. The only thing I want to say is you have just painted an ideological picture and then said that that's the real one. And the one that I'm describing is the false one. And so I'm not saying that your ideological picture is not compelling. and doesn't have elements of fact in it, mm-hmm. but, but, but it's still a global picture that relies on a kind of interpretation of a system of behavior that mine does, and then saying that mine is a story. But yes, so is yours. So, and and I would and I would argue with some points on that story. But I don't. I mean, Stephen's been very patient. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've been very very patient, long suffering, Stephen. Well, I'm glad that both of you said what you said because I was really struck by the web of empathy, right? And I was like, okay, I think for me, I've been thinking about how the story's being told and what the story's being propped up by, right? Because. Mm. For example, um, I was thinking about when we were kids, when I was a child in Toledo, my brother and I and siblings would watch television shows that would be interrupted because they were interrupted by commercials mm-hmm. for care for starving yeah. children in Africa. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, how the story was told, when we were younger, we weren't we couldn't take it seriously. It didn't have anything to do with our reality until much later, do you know? And so we couldn't see what that meant. And I remember thinking, oh, here comes that story again. We just want to watch cartoons or whatever. And I was like, well, who tells the story and how they tell the story? The purchase of that particular story obviously depends on that person. I agree that both everyone's telling the story, but what's interesting to me is when there is a barrage of, I'll go to film, and I think of, you know, um, Dangerous Minds. White woman goes into the ghetto, teaches kids how to read poetry or write. Michelle or read Pfeiffer or, or something like that, yeah. Right. And yeah. so they're like a slew of those films, right? There are a lot of those films, but the way that they're structured, to me, are they're never 
And Michelle comes in and she learns something, or she learns something a little bit. Like they're humans, you know. <laughs> but not much. It's not much. And you should know that they're humans. And you know, I was in class and they were shooting oh at God. me, and then oh I God. survived. And right. now, listen, why she cries and reads a poem, right. and they're just like, who fucking tells a story here? And for a while, those sto- those those shows and that approach to that story, I find very disturbing, yeah. and also never this. Right. And so I looked into myself while you were talking. I was like, so when have I been, you need to get a job. When have I been that in my life? Definitely in college. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm busy. I can't do that right now. And so mm-hmm. I treated people, no, I was never super rude or anything, but I always kept my own sort of um, counsel with, I'm going to live my life this way. I see what's happening over there and I don't want it without really mm-hmm. looking at the socioeconomic underpinnings of the structure of society at that point. I just knew I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's that web of empathy needs to have elements of, for me, where you really issue your own things that Here's your story here, but all the stuff behind it, they don't, they don't, they, they're much more nuanced and, and complicated. Mm. You tell people to win in a system where some people aren't going to win. Mm. So my, yeah, I think that's absolutely, I think that's right. And I, and I would say that the, the biggest problem with a Marxist critique mm. is, I, I mean, it gets the, it gets the ahistorical label and all the rest of that stuff. And, you know, I think those are all valid critiques, but the main, the main most succinct problem with it is that Marx, the Marxist critique assumes that inequality is a social construct. Inequality is an existential reality. It, it, is, it is, in hmm. fact, the nature of the universe that we are born into. And human beings, as a, soci- as a pro-social primate, does a really good, they do a pretty good job of layering over that inequality hmm. with, with equality. With creating with creating social uh, forms of social cooperation, and it doesn't it, it, to, to say that the entire structure of the social world is, you know, sort of some capitalist fever dream, and all the rest of us are just slaves to that Cartesian demon. I think is just to ignore human nature and, and and ignore social realities. I'm sorry, Seth, please jump in. You, no, you're no, and I say don't, several times. I don't disagree with what you've said, but two things. Mm. One, I, and perhaps a Mar- Marxist critique does this, but I don't intend to use a tool in this way. I don't use it to talk about the entire social world. I'm, I, I, because I do think that cultures are different and I do think that cultures treat difference differently. So mm, I think sure. in the U S of, of a, that the, it's the culture is here is is mercenary in the way that Marx talks about intentionally mercenary and um and actually papers over the way or no not even papers over there are elements of our culture uh the people we we live with our neighbors many of them believe that we shouldn't even be doing the things we do to mitigate inequality Oh yeah, they 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 profoundly believe. You know, the, again, the Christian sure. right and, and and Fox News and the and the whole conservative infrastructure yeah. profoundly believe that we shouldn't have a social safety net. That mm-hmm. so 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 what I'm getting at is this: in the in this particular country, I think that the dominant ideology 
is one that is not yours. I think, and I, and it works hand in glove with a socioeconomic structure that privileges the worst of that ideology. That's what I'm getting at. And, and, and I, and I think that that is a story I am telling, but I would, I would argue that if you, if you sift the evidence, if we're going to just take these two stories as being one being more true than the other, one representing more of our reality than the other, if you sift the evidence, I think you find that it, that the, the preponderance of evidence supports my point of view. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to go too back and forth with it because mm, mm. Uh, we probably, the podcast will end up being an hour, which yeah. is not a bad thing. I mean, it's, it's a good yeah. conversation, mm-hmm. but I would, I, I would say, what are we counting as evidence? Like, mm. are we counting how people feel or like the reality of the situation? So I'm going to put forward the summary of an argument I ultimately do not agree with. And I'm not saying that I don't agree with it in order to hedge my bet. I'm saying because I don't think it takes a full enough historical context and doesn't mm. understand the nature of being a pro-social primate very mm. well. Mm. But it's basically this. So people feel precarious, right? Mm-hmm. And people feel in, in, in this version of things and people are talking about the like unequal access to healthcare, which is true and uh, mm-hmm. Ine- mm-hmm. unequal distribution of wealth, which is also very, very true now. Mm-hmm. But if you were to look at the average life expectancy of people in America across the board today versus like 1940, you would see that as far as my understanding is that that the average life expectancy is in fact longer than it was 60, 70, Mm -hmm. 80 years ago. Yes. If you were to look at people's access to leisure and food, it would be vastly different than it was 80 years ago. Vastly, vastly. Your your Mm -hmm. actual access to calories to Mm -hmm. keep you going Mm -hmm. are are far exceed what people's access to that was 100 years ago. Now, mm-hmm. I ultimately think that argument is ridiculous, right? It's ultimately ridiculous because we evaluate ourselves based on our current circumstances versus other people's current circumstances. Mm-hmm. Okay. So people are still very dissatisfied with their lives right. because mm-hmm. people like Jeff Bezos have so much and we have so little. Right. But but to then say that, this, that there is a problem with the system... Mm. Is I don't think is there is a problem with with human nature that we need to rectify systemically, mm. Mm. and it, it's it's not the it's not the system that is producing selfishness. It is not the system that Agreed. is mercenary. Agree. It is our it is our own limited horizon. Agree. I mean, another way oh, to look no, at absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, agreed with that. And and so mm-hmm. the only solution to that is to is is to talk about and promote and advocate for a different story. I don't think it's it it's the main difference between us and other uh, other uh, countries that have a stronger social safety net is that they have a common mythology. Like mm. Germans all believe in like you know the Gödelheim, like big you know like sort of mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. essentially share a mythology together. Mm. Or you know like Scandinavians believe they're all descendants of Thor. You mm. know, I mean, mm-hmm. so I mean that's that's mm. what brings them together. We mm. have a hard time with that common mythology in the mm. United States. So anyway, mm. oh, I, I want to yeah. let, let I'm rambling mm. a little bit. I want to let one of you guys have mm. the final word. 
Please, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing to say. I'm too busy with the shared mythology idea. I'm like, oh, okay, let's you know, let's paw at that for a while. Well, yeah. I I want to I want to do a kind of meta commentary, which is that at the I think about ten minutes into the conversation today, I was worried that we didn't have enough of a um, of a goal or enough of a clear topic that to keep mm-hmm. us on track. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that we'd discover it. And then, and then I found we did, and I and I thought mm. to myself, well, what are we going to call this episode? You know, because when I when we <laughs> when, I, when I go on the American <laughs> Age uh, website, you know, the, mm-hmm. the the episodes typically have a one or two word uh, mm-hmm. encapsulation. And I thought, okay, so this one will be precarity. This this one will be about mm. what it's like to be precarious and and how we understand what that precarity is, both our, both individually mm-hmm. and collectively. And mm-hmm. I think that it's been useful to me to hear, to hear the argument that Travis has made, which I find, I find, I do find convincing. Um, I mean, part of the reason why I think as a student, I never spent a lot of time hanging out with the teachers and their, I'm going to say it in a mean way, their sycophants, because there were, mm. there were a lot of them. I'm around, sure there were plenty. Mm-hmm. Is that I just, I always felt like, there was their position was smug. They just felt like they they the way they talked mm. about propagating that Marxist critique was that was a sort of hey as as you know if we say this loud enough and say it rigorously enough, mm-hmm. people are going to figure out that they're fucking up and they're going to get their asses in line and we're going to and and society is going to be better mm. better tomorrow. And it just never it that just never happens. It never mm. happens that you critique yourself. Into a better day, it, it mm. never happens that you, you yeah, figure well out said. Yeah. that you figure mm. out um, how to theorize a better society. We don't. You build it. You build it in the in the sort of mm. in these moments right here where we talk to each other without filter, without prevarication, without pretense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know I said I'd give you the last word. The only thing I want to say is I, so Stephen knew that I was listening. I just didn't want to go follow that too far. My personal uh, irritation when it comes to those films, the ones where the white savior kind of comes in, mm-hmm. um, is uh, are all of the historical versions of that where the white person becomes like the better, the like the best Japanese person. Oh, or, yeah. Like, oh, be, yeah. Like the white person becomes the very best Native American person. Like they, they, they not only oh, like with wolves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They I mean, not only like adopt they are like the, they're the, the Uber, paragon. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's del- I think that's deliberate and I also feel like that's one of the ways it keeps people watching it. A particular yeah. audience yeah. watching it. Yeah. So when you said that I immediately thought about a scene in Flashdance, right? Terrible film. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's a moment where the lead character, Alex, gets mad at her boyfriend. She's 19 years old. She's a welder, and she wants to go become a dancer and become a ballet mm-hmm. dancer. So they're fighting, and there's a black woman who is the says nothing. She's 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 at a food cart, but they could the camera keeps going to her as they go back and forth as they're arguing, as mm-hmm. she's as if she's some sort of mediator. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, shit, I got to write an essay about this. I really do. Just this one scene, mm-hmm. the more I become more f- critical of film, I'm, I'm watching how people just become used to ideas. Because mm-hmm. she's supposed to be seen as funny. She's just like, what are you going to say now? And what are you going to say? You need some pancakes? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very, <laughs> very, <laughs> very um, oh, God. <laughs> indicative of some things that I need to, like, explore. And so, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, and so I think, yeah, 
people way smarter than me probably already figure this out, but it's just like, wow, we are so inundated with a certain kind of social positioning in our films. Mm. Even when we say we're doing something good, are we really doing something good? Or are we just really reifying? Like you said, I'm the best dances, dances with wolves there is, you know, and you're supposed to, <laughs> you're supposed to go, yay, yay. <laughs> what okay. is this movie about again? <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I, I prefer to end on Steven's note. So uh, it's, <laughs> thanks for the conversation, everyone. Hey. I'll talk to you guys next week. Later. <laughs>